0: Good morning, everyone. Um, welcome along to to uh, church this morning. This morning we're going to be uh, continuing our our series uh, that we are calling "Transformed." But before we launch into today, I actually just want to take you back a couple of years. Uh, some of you here will notice that I'm actually wearing a shirt uh, today that belongs to the Arsenal Football Club. Um, Because I'm a big uh, Arsenal supporter ever since I was a a, a young fella, I think the only reason I started supporting them was because my my other brothers were already supporting teams like Liverpool and Manchester United and I just wanted to do something different to them, to be perfectly honest. But anyway, in 2017, I had the great privilege of standing in Wembley Stadium with 90,000 other people watching the FA Cup final as my... Boyhood team, Arsenal, were rank underdogs taking on Chelsea Football Club. And it was an amazing experience, something that I, I, I think I've, I've, well, I've never experienced before. And the, the noise of the crowd was such that it left your ears ringing at the end of the game. And that wasn't because of any big speakers from a band playing out or anything like that. There was just the noise of the chanting and the singing. And during the game, if your team was starting to fall behind, there was this big cry, It's up to us to lift the boys! And so you had to, you had to yell louder, you had to sing louder. And um, it was a fantastic experience. And can I just say that right in front of me there is where Giroux took the ball to the baseline with his left foot, crossed it through, and Ramsey headed the winning goal right in front of me there, and we won 2-1, which is fantastic. <laughs> all right. We haven't won anything since, but that's all right. <laughs> uh, but I was right there. Now, the other, thing, the, the other thing that you guys may notice from this picture is that the, the stadium is divided into two, and there's one half, which is a sea of red, and the other half, which is, is 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 nicely put in shadows because that's where they belonged <laughs> with the blue chelsea supporters now those who know anything about about english football will realize how passionate they are about their football clubs and how much hatred there is between the various teams and uh, you know and so so they make sure that when when you're going through the turnstiles at this end of the end of the stadium you are not allowed to wear Anyone else's shirt. There's a big sign up saying that basically you're not allowed to wear any other team shirt other than uh, the, the, well, for us it was the Arsenal, because they know how much people are passionate, how much the, the hatred runs between these supporters of the various teams. And as we, as we went to the, the FA Cup final, uh, on the train, there'd be police who would come in, as, it, as supporters would come on each end of the carriage, and police would stand in the middle of the carriage, and the, and the supporters from one side and the other would just basically be going backwards and forwards. Most of it, I thought, was pretty light-hearted banter in the carriage that I was on. But you can imagine, in some places, it gets really heated, and, and the exchanges get really heated. And then after the, the game as well, as you're sort of exiting out there, the Chelsea supporters, obviously, they've been in the pubs a bit because they weren't hanging around to, for, the, uh, for the lifting of the cup. And so they were, they, were, they, were, they were, despite the fact that they lost, they were still jeering at us as, as, as it went past and things like that. But you know what? All those insults that were, were, were thrown at me, they didn't actually mean a thing. Didn't mean a thing to me at all, and I just sort of you know let them wash off and they didn't stick at all because I knew that they weren't actually abusing me because they didn't know me personally, but they were abusing the shirt that I was wearing that day. And in my mind I had prepared myself for this, and I had told myself, You wear the shirt, you take the dirt. You know that they're going to throw that dirt at you because of the shirt that you're wearing. But that's all right. I was expecting it. And it meant absolutely nothing to me. You might be thinking, where are we going with this? Well, this is exactly what Jesus wants to tell his disciples in today's message. We're continuing this, this series of, of called Transformed where we're looking in the latter half of John's gospel, where John dedicates a great number of chapters just to these final few hours that Jesus had with his disciples, and then Jesus' death, and then his resurrection. And uh, he spends a lot of time on this because the messages that Jesus is saying in his last night with his disciples are Jesus' key messages to his disciples, and it's his key messages to us. He just really wants to make sure they know what's going to happen. And up till now, a lot of the messages have been very encouraging. You know, uh, the last three or so to- sessions of this, we've, we've talked about how, 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 how God is going to be sending his spirit, his, his Paracletos, his, 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 his witness, his guide, his advocate to us, to help us along the way. We've talked about that, how by abiding ourselves in Christ, how really linking ourselves in, we can produce this good fruit, this beautiful fruit that God desires in our lives. And we've talked about how the fact that, that Jesus wants to pull us close in friendship and our relationship. With God and, and Him, and uh, with God and Jesus. And, and at this stage, I guess everything's sounding really good, and, and, and many of the disciples will be thinking, Wow, this is going to be really good. And then Jesus switches it completely on them and says, I tell you what, though, there's going to be pain, and you're going to suffer, and you're going to hurt because of me. He stops and tells them, that people are going to, to hate you, people are going to persecute you, people are going to, to throw you out, people are going to kill you because of my shirt that you're wearing. But know it's coming. And stand firm. They're wonderful verses, trust me. So let's open your open your Bible then to John chapter 15. And starting at verse 18, I really want you to, to, to open your Bibles, open your apps together because we're just going to stay in this passage today because there is just so much good stuff uh, here. The first section, this the, the section today oh, uh, is broken down to three main sections. This first section is really all about the fact that we wear Christ's shirt, so we, we take Christ's dirt basically the stuff that's aimed at him and so let's start reading it together it says from verse 18 if the world hates you keep in mind that it hated me first if you belong to the world it would love you as its own as it is you do not belong to the world but I have chosen you out of the world and that is why the world hates you. So in other words, Jesus is saying right from the beginning, actually, the world's going to hate you, but it's going to be because of me, because I have chosen you out of the world, and you no, longer, you no longer march to the beat of the world's drum. You march to my beat. You wear my shirt. How it's written here, uh, the, the whole, the whole uh, phrase, if... Actually, it's written in in quite a, a, a strong sense that there's an expectation. So instead of when it says, if the world hates you, it's almost like if, if the world hates you, and it will, remember that it hated me first. Now, obviously, when Jesus is talking about the world, he's not talking about the physical world. He's talking about mankind and our sinful fallen state. He's talking about the sinful mindset that that we have without him. The self-gratifying, self-serving, self-made mindset that that is is sinful mankind. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, the world is going to hate you, he's saying that that, that people who've got that, that sinful mindset, the people who are far from God, Are gonna hate you because of what you stand for, because you wear my shirt. Because Jesus then says in that in that next verse that he has taken out us out of the world and he's clothed us. He's taken us out of the world and called us his own. Elsewhere in the Bible we talk about putting on Christ's righteousness. We are clothed with him. We beat. We march to a, to a new beat. Our lives are God-focused, not self-focused. Jesus Christ comes along and he says, you, you try and make life yourself through your own efforts and what you do. I tell you the truth, you will only find life through me. He turns everything on its head and says, you want to find your life? Well, first you've got to lose it in me. And then you'll find life. Then you'll find out what life is all about. You do not belong to the world any longer, he says. You are mine. And this creates not just sociological differences in how we view other people, how we view people not just in terms of other humans who just happen to be on the planet at the same time, but we view them as, as beautifully created images of God People who, who are dearly loved by God. People who, who God gave himself for, but they just don't know it yet. And it tra- changes completely how we, we, we view society, how we view people around us, and how we interact with them. But it also deeply affects, obviously, the theology of, of what we're here for. What's the purpose of life and what we're doing and Jesus is saying, look, I've called you out of that. I've put my shirt on you. Don't be, don't be surprised when people hate you because of me. But remember, they hated me first. Remember, it's me that they're hating. You're just wearing my shirt. Let's go on to these next verses. It says, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. Remember, we actually just read these verses just a few, few chapters before, in chapter 13, when Jesus was washing his disciples' feet, eh? And uh, he, was, he was saying, a um, uh, the, the, the servant is not greater than his master, and, and, and giving them the example that just as he served, so we should also be serving. Well, he uses that same phrase here and says, just as I was persecuted you will be persecuted too. Because a servant is no greater than the master. If the master gets it, the servant's going to get it too. Understand that it's going to happen. If they obeyed my teaching, uh, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father as well. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet have hated both me and my Father. Jesus is saying again and again through these, 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 these verses He says it multiple times. They're going to hate you, not because of you, but they're going to hate you because of me. The fact that you are wearing my shirt, you are clothed with me. And how they treat you, whether they persecute you or whether they listen to you, is how they would treat me. And in these verses, there's this bit in there where it says that they would not be guilty of the sin. That doesn't mean that because Jesus came, people are all, all of a sudden sinners, but Jesus is emphasizing the fact that he came and he spoke the words of God and he lived out the actions of God on this earth in such a clear and defined way that people are without, without excuse because God has revealed themselves to them and yet they've chosen to reject him. Throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus says, the words that I speak are from my Father. And, 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 and you hear that in his teaching, and, and people are amazed by his teaching. The crowds go away and say, no one has ever spoken with this sort of authority before. Who is this man? And then Jesus declared with his actions, his deity. He, he declared with his miracles, his control over nature, as he calmed the storm, as he, as he controlled the fish of the sea as he healed sicknesses, as he gave blind, uh, sight to the blind and, and, and the lame can walk and, and um, the sick were were made well again. He demonstrated his deity in his power over, over sin when he, when he declares as he heals, uh, you are forgiven. He forgives sins, something that only God can do. He declares in the, in the power of his his uh, miracles that he's got power over life itself as he raises people from the dead. And in the case of Lazarus, someone who's been dead for about three days. He left left this earth and no doubt that if they opened their eyes and open their ears, they would see that he was God himself. He declared his deity to them all. And as such, those who reject them are guilty. What more could he do? Jesus says, those who hate me, because they've got no knowledge of the Father, and they hate the Father. So what Jesus is saying is that the world hates me. I'm in you. So it's going to hate you. But when it's hating you, what they're really doing is they're hating God the Father. They're declaring their hatred towards God. And then the section finishes off with a little verse. It says, But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. There's a little bit of irony in this because as Jesus is, is about to, to be crucified, and the world thinks that it has won, actually, Jesus has just won the victory because in so doing, They are fulfilling the the prophecies that were, were written about him. In doing that, he is going to bear our sins. In doing it, he is going to produce the ultimate victory. But there is also another aspect to this last sentence that I think we need to pause at and underline. And it's this little phrase that said, they hated me without... Reason. They hated me without reason. And when I stop and reflect on that, and you reflect on the life of Jesus Christ, that is so true. I'm always astounded when I consider Jesus Christ, how he lived in this tension between being completely righteous and yet hanging out with a bunch of sinners. And being known as a friend of sinners. To the point of having people accuse him as a, as a drunkard. As a glutton. A person who, who hang, hung out with the wrong people. And I think that that is a tension that we really struggle with sometimes as a church. Because you're right. We are called to be righteous. We are called to be holy. We are called to be transformed in our actions. But we're to do it in a way which actually draws people who are seeking to you, regardless of, of their sinfulness. We aren't to do it in a bigoted, holier-than-thou sort of attitude, an attitude of self-righteousness, which has often been the, 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 the call of the church over the centuries that, you know, we've got these sort of standards, and and there's a feeling that that people can't come to church until they get their lives sorted out. They can't come through the doors of the church until they've got everything sorted because of the attitude that the church has, has lived out their faith. But we need to take the same attitude of Jesus Christ who, despite being the Son of God, despite being pure and holy, was able to hang out with these guys. And truly say at the end of his life, they've hated me without reason. I've given them no reason to show hatred to me. So it should be with us as we wear his shirt in our lives. The next little segment of these verses then shows us how the Holy Spirit Helps us wear the shirt we're wearing. And so let's pick it up again from verse 26. It says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send from the Father. The advocate obviously is, the, as Steve explained a couple of weeks ago, the parakletos, the one who will bear a witness, our, our advocate, our uh, intercessor, the one who will, will guide, the one who will, will, will help us along the way that Jesus will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will what? He will testify about me. And you also must testify. Underline that. You also must testify. For you have been with me from the beginning. One of the key roles that the Spirit is going to, to have when He comes. The myriad, one of the myriad roles that the Spirit is going to have when He comes, Jesus declares here, is that Spirit is going to testify about me. The Spirit is going to be a witness to this world about Jesus Christ. And the reality is that we as Christians have God's Spirit in us, we have the same Spirit in us. And so, an essential part of living a spirit-filled life is that we are going to testify to the name of Jesus Christ. As part of a spirit-filled Christian life, you will testify to the name of Jesus Christ. And if anything is going to get you in trouble these days, then this potentially will. Because this is testifying to the fact that we are saying that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. It's testifying that Jesus Christ was himself God in human form. It's testifying that it's only through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we are saved. It's testifying to the fact that you can only find your life. You can only find who you are supposed to be through Jesus Christ. And such exclusivity is frowned upon in the society in which we walk, in the society in which we live. And yet, as a spirit-filled Christian, we must testify to the name of Jesus Christ. We must. I told you these are great verses, aren't they? Let's pick them up again then. From John chapter sixteen, starting in verse one. All this I have told you, so that you would not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time will the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things again. Why? Because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time, when their hour comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. So Jesus finishes off again by just going back to where he started this little section and said, Persecution's going to come to you because of me. But you know what? Expect it and stand firm. Expect it. I have told you this so that you would not be taken by surprise. I've told you this so that you won't be surprised when all of a sudden things are hard as a Christian. Now, I've told you this so that you will not fall away, but that you will stand firm in your conviction. That verse too would have really stung his disciples' ears, that they will throw you out of the synagogues. Now we 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 read that and we sort of sort of our, we, we just sort of cut, uh, almost read it quite quickly and think, oh yes, yeah, thrown out and not allowed in church. But remember, he was speaking to Jews, his disciples were Jews and a synagogue was a central part of, of who they were as Jews it was a central part of, of worship it was a central part of their identity so all of a sudden Jesus is saying as part of this you're going to have your cultural identity stripped away you're not going to be allowed in the synagogue you're, not going to, you're going to be thrown out of the synagogues on account of me everything you thought about, everything that's been raised as, as a young Jew and all the things you need to, to, to do as Jew and, and, and part of who you are and your cultural identity, ah, you're going to be cast out of that. And all of a sudden, Jesus' message isn't so rosy at all, is it? And then he goes on and says, and in fact, the time is coming when people will kill you and they'll think they're doing a service for me. And church history would bear his truth out. As each of the of the disciples are eventually martyred for their faith and they give their life up. But it's not just them, but you know, throughout the the the, the church history, Christians have been martyred for their faith. For the first 300 years of the Christian faith, the Roman Empire tried to stamp out the Christian faith again and again and again. And at times when you read the history, it talks about the, 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 the blood of, of Christians almost flowing through the, 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 the streets like a stream until they eventually gave up and said, I, we can't do this, we can't eradicate it. And then down over history, again and again, Christians are persecuted for their faith. And last century, more Christians died as martyrs than ever before. Last century, in our modern world, more Christians were martyred for their faith than ever before. And people will kill you on account of my name, Jesus says. Expect it. Stand firm. So Jesus is saying to us, you've got my shirt on. It is the shirt of life. It is the shirt of victory. It is the right shirt to wear. But because of me, you're going to take dirt. Because of my name, you will be persecuted. Because of my name, you will be hurt. And you know what? Expect it. You wear the shirt, you take the dirt, and let it fall off. Transform through hatred. It's actually one of the strongest forms of transformation, I think, that we have in our Christian walk. As I reflect on my own life, and as I think you, if, you, if you talked with, with people who have been around this world for even longer than I, they will frequently say that times of their biggest transformation in their Christian life has been in, through times of hatred, where they've had to take a firm stand on what they believe. For me, I, I reflect back, and I think one of the biggest times for me was actually when I left home and I went down to university, and all of a sudden I was bombarded by a whole lot of 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 of, of living that I wasn't happy with, and there was this big pressure to you know join the party scene, to get drunk, and you know, uh, and, and all the lifestyle that's associated with that. Actually, I just saw that documentary the other week uh, about university and, and it sort of reminded me of some of that really bad stuff that, that goes on and that pressure is, is there to, to conform to, to, to the world. And, and you get potentially called names because of your, your unwillingness to go there with them. But I had a little saying in my mind that I took with me through all that, and it was always, remember who you are and whose you are. Remember who you are and whose you are. I've been bought with a price, and that price comes with a cost to me. And as I thought through that, as you potentially get called names for not going along, I would answer back in my own mind. I would be a much weaker person if I went back on what I believed and did what you said. I would be a much weaker person of character if I caved in to their precious rather than stand on what I believe. And as I think back now, there was a massive period of transformation in my Christian walk, as I had to be sure of what I believed and what I stood for. One of the ways that I really, uh, that I find useful in sort of standing firm is to read about other Christians, to read about other lives and be inspired by their story. One book that, I absolutely love, and I go back to again and again. It's a book with an odd title called The Insanity of God. Who here has actually read this book? Insanity of God? No one. It's got a title, perhaps, that might put a few Christians off, I suppose. Um, but it's a, it's a fantastic book. It's a, it's, a, it's a true story of faith resurrected. And it's a story which is a book which is broken down into two. And it's about a, a family who, 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 who head over to a Muslim country to be missionaries only for things to not work out as they planned and for personal family tragedy to strike. And for 15 years later, with nothing to show for their work, they sort of head back to, to, to America, their tails between their legs, their faith in shatters, wondering, God, where are you? And then the second story of the book of his faith renewed as he then actually goes around the world visiting Christians in the persecuted church throughout the world, starting off on the Eastern Bloc in Russia and the former Soviet Union and then ending up in China and things like that. And it's fantastic as you read about the stories of these women and men of faith, our brothers and sisters in the family with us, and, and, and you read about their great courage and, and strength and conviction of faith, how they, they willingly went through it all, how they lost jobs because of what they believed, how they were taken away from their family, how they were, were imprisoned, how they were beaten, how they were, were, were rejected, how they died, some of them, many of them, for their faith. But yet how through all of that, this, this work of God through, through their lives, which, which is absolutely amazing. one of the great examples I just want to introduce you to is a guy called Pastor Chan, who, who um, this guy Nick Ripkin, he, he meets just a few days after he was released from prison at the age of 83 in China, and he had spent most of his adult life in prison one. Well, yeah, yeah, well, in prison. He'd get out briefly and then get imprisoned again, essentially. But he was a guy who then used that prison to, to, to disciple many, many believers. And, and, he, and it was actually became a training scheme for the underground house church movement in China. And it was through his time in there, he had a massive effect on, on all these believers. And as he was sitting in there, there there was a few of the guys that he had trained up came back and they were telling the stories about him. And Nick sort of describes him as just sitting there with a smile on his face, rocking backwards and forwards and humming hymns to God as he was hearing these stories about how his faith had imparted to others and how their faith had imparted to others and how God was growing his church and the house church movement in China and how active he was. And, and, and Nick sort of makes this comment that, you know, Pastor Chan lived a hard life. He had nothing tangible for all his labour. He basically only had the clothes he was wearing and a spare pair of underpants. He had no family to go to. He had no, no house. He had no wealth. He had, he had nothing apart from the clothes on his back. And even so, he seemed more content more filled with the spirit of peace and more aware of the joy of living than anyone I have met. And it's reading stories like this. It inspires me. It inspires me in, in my own Christian walk to say, hey man, standing up to the party scene is not such a big deal after all. These guys are giving it all. And I'm inspired by them to be called part of the family with these guys and to walk with these guys. One of the, the, Russian, one of the Russian pastors that he, that he spoke to said, you know, when Nick was asking him about how he'd cope with the fact that there's so much persecution, and he, and he took him to the window and said, look, as surely as the sun will rise in the east, we know persecution is coming. As sure as the daylight is it's going to come, we know it's going to come. And we expect it. And we're ready for it. And one of the big challenges of the book was another guy from the Eastern Bloc who then challenges him and said, when he's talking about the, the, the Western church, he says, never give up in freedom what we would never give up in persecution. And that is our witness to the power of the resurrection of Christ. And that phrase hit Nick really hard and it's hit me really hard too. Never give up in freedom what they would never give up in persecution. And that is bearing testimony to the name of Jesus Christ. Never give up in freedom proclaiming the resurrection of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. You wear the shirt, Christ says, take the dirt, it's coming your way. Expect it and stand. I want to leave you with perhaps three questions that have plagued my mind as I've been preparing for this and questions that have been in my mind, well, for a few years really from from reading this book and things like that, it's because when you start reading these stories of the persecuted church, they they don't ask us to pray that their persecution would cease because they see a beauty in the persecution and they see God at work in their lives and in the lives of people around them. They pray. They say pray that we may stand firm, pray that we may be faithful, pray that we will always be faithful in our witness to the resurrection of the power of resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then they reverse the comment and say, But how come you guys aren't getting persecuted? What's it with the Western Church? Why aren't you feeling the heat? They we say, well, you know, obviously it's got a little bit to do with you know a little bit tolerant governments and things like that. You know, um, actually, don't know. Perhaps it's because the devil doesn't want to persecute the Western Church because the Western Church is ineffective. Perhaps he doesn't want to wake it up. I don't know, I'm just throwing this out here. There is no answer. But it's something that, you know, you throw around in your mind. Why aren't we getting persecuted more? Why aren't we more different? And if it was illegal to gather in New Zealand, if it was illegal to gather in the name of Jesus Christ here in New Zealand, how many of us would still gather? How many of us would have the courage? And I know the, I know the first answer is, yes, I'll be there. But then I start challenging myself. Yeah? Easy to say, isn't it? Easy to say. But if it was illegal, how many of us would still meet together? And this one. If you were arrested and charged with being a follower of Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If they actually came in and arrested you, are they going to have enough evidence to convict you of your faith in Jesus Christ? These are the questions that go around in my mind. If you wear the shirt, take the dirt. Let's wear the shirt well. Pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth that is in Jesus Christ. We thank you that He is the way to life. We thank you that He alone is your Son. And we thank you for the the life that we have in Him. Life complete, life eternal. Father, As we wear Christ's shirt, give us the strength and the courage to boldly proclaim his name. Give us the courage to wear his shirt well. So that when we are persecuted, when we are hated because of our belief, Father, I pray strengthen us and give us the ability to stand. We need you. Amen. I